Welcome back to the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast by Clay Temple Media. I'm Brandon Buda. And I'm Glenn McDorman. This episode, we are continuing the novella, The Death of Dr. Island. This time, we're going up to page 114. Before we get going, we just want to let you know about the November Patreon episode we just released. Uh, this was really awesome. We decided to take some time to read some of Gene Wolfe's letters home from the Korean War. And we just took a look at one month's worth of those letters. It's from August 1952. This was something that was really fascinating for us to look at as former soldiers ourselves, uh, and also just to get to know who Wolf was before he became this writer and get some insight, get some glimpse into this experience that we know shaped so much of his life and also his work. It was really great. We had fun doing it. We think you'll find it very interesting. So if you're not already a patron, we really recommend going to check that out. Yeah, this one is definitely worth checking out. Last time in The Death of Dr. Island, we left Nicholas and Diane uh, with the uncomfortable realization that they're on the island really just in service of whatever Ignacio's whims are, that they are there as secondary characters in the development of Ignacio. So, Glenn, what happens next? Right. Nicholas and Diane have wandered into the forest that's inland from the beach, and we, we pick up in that same setting. The reason that Diane brought Nicholas into the forest is to see what she calls the focus. And the focus is a band of withered vegetation. It's it's perfectly straight, as if it has been drawn with a ruler. And this happens when the bright spot, which is an artificial sun, we'll get more on that in a bit, this bright spot, when it's overhead at just the right angle, such that the, the glass that they are inside of becomes a focal lens and burns up this vegetation... We're almost certainly here, I think, meant to be thinking of kids who burn ants with a a magnifying glass, right, with this imagery. And the focus moves around, so this will depend on the orbit of Dr. Island, but the last time that Diane found it, she'd been able to see her mirror selves more clearly, and, and this is why she's brought Nicholas here. And he's mildly interested in that, seeing the person in front of him and the person behind him a little bit more. But really, he's much more concerned about food, right? He's very hungry here. He hasn't had anything to eat since he's been here at all. Diane now admits that there might not be a lot of food besides the fish and that only Ignacio has been able to catch any. And at this moment, then, Dr. Island returns. He's speaking now out of logs and tree branches. And he wants to take Nicholas to some place called The Point. Uh, these names, The Focus, the, the Point, right? These are classic kind of fairy tale names, right? Where there's only one of each feature, so it's just named after that feature. But Diane does not want Nicholas to go to The Point. She's been there, and she had a bad experience. But Dr. Island explains that the, the Point is the place where you can most closely see your mirror selves. In fact, very closely, apparently. Nicholas is hesitant because of Diane's dislike of this place, right? I think as any of us would be. But Dr. Island explains that the point is therapeutic. And maybe Diane just doesn't want help because getting psychological help, getting therapy can be painful. On top of that, besides, if Nicholas doesn't go, he'll be the only person here who hasn't been to the point. So there's a a little bit of a peer pressure on this 14-year-old boy. I'm not quite sure what the ethics are of that, the, the medical ethics are of that. We also learn here that Nicholas used to have a mirror in one of his rooms, and he tried to break it, but since it was metal, all he could do was dent it. When Dr. Island says that this mirror, the the point, can't be broken either, Nicholas says then that it doesn't really sound worth going to see, which I found hilarious, right? The only thing that would interest him about anything is whether or not he can break it. 
Yeah, I mean, we learn in this section also that Nicholas used to poison food at one of the institutions where he was made to work in the kitchen. Nicholas is just fixated on destruction and breaking things. I searched high and low for like a pun uh, with the point here when they're, when they're going on this journey and Nicholas goes and is trying to see the point. I thought Wolf was going to give us some sort of tidy moral of the story, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it is not to be found in the point and in the continuing journey of Nicholas here. Yeah, it's a great idea of like what the phrase the point can mean for us. Of course, points also can be quite dangerous, right? We might be thinking about the, the point of a, of a spear or something here, right, which is a weapon that is going to actually show up in this story. All of this talk of the point has really bothered Diane, and she's gone catatonic, I mean, literally catatonic she's just kind of turned off nicholas is worried about leaving her here where the focus is going to return and burn her but dr island says that even though she's catatonic she'll move out of the way when she feels the the heat from the focus nicholas is skeptical of this because he was once in a facility where the doctors let someone starve to death because he wouldn't feed himself and dr island's response here to, to nicholas's concern is just chilling. He says that sometimes people starve themselves to death. People do this to protest perceived political injustices. And it sounds like this person, Nicholas knew, did it to protest a perceived psychic injustice. So that's cool. You shouldn't worry about that. The real question here is, we kind of know where political injustices come from and how these demonstrations function in our society. It's really hard to pinpoint who's responsible for a psychic injustice. And I think that's the most troubling part about Dr. Island's response here is what does it protest? Is it something within himself? Is there something wrong with his his spirit or his soul? His genius is broken in some way. Um, that Yeah, you're right. That's an extremely disturbing response to a, a child who watched uh, a grown man waste away from starvation in an institution. Yeah, and the idea that this person was doing that to protest some psychic injustice is, I think, frankly, ridiculous, right? As you point out, when people are doing this about political injustices, the point is to try to defeat or overcome those injustices. It's a sacrifice that you're making so that other people can have something better, that it can't possibly be the outcome of this person Nicholas saw starve to death in this facility. So the equation is not equal. Both sides of the equation are not equal. And Dr. Island has to be a smart enough AI or committee or whatever he is to know that. And so another indication here, maybe our first actual indication that's not just supposition by the characters, that Dr. Island is maybe not concerned about Nicholas and Diane, but is concerned about Ignacio. But Dr. Island does say that the, the treatment here, the treatment of just being present in this place can help Diane if she lets it. But when Nicholas presses Dr. Island on this, he says that he doesn't really believe that. He actually thinks that she is beyond help. So again, Dr. Island seeming to sort of distance himself from any kind of responsibility for helping Diane, for treating Diane. And this further upsets Nicholas. I mean, he accuses Dr. Island of lying to him. And again, Chillingly, Dr. Island admits that he did, but then he says, so what? Society is going to lie to you all the time, and my job is to try to make you suitable for society at large, to make you function again, so I have to emulate society. Part of that's lying to you. It's for your own good. I'm doing it to make you function again. And he goes on to say, Dr. Island, that is, goes on to say that that's really what he is, right? He's not a doctor, which he, he thinks is fine, because a whole lot of doctors have been already unable to help Nicholas anyway. All of this, as we've been suggesting, all of this is ominous and creepy, 
But there's one more detail in this scene that we should not overlook. Dr. Island draws Nicholas's attention to something he calls yellow flowers. When Nicholas approaches them, they turn out to be butterflies rather than flowers. And Nicholas here wonders if Dr. Island actually knew what they were. And we are left wondering the same thing, as well as wondering who Dr. Island is, who he works for, and what he's really up to. This whole conversation with Dr. Island, I think, is really meant to unsettle us. And it's almost as if we're Wolf is trying to reinforce something like the the point of all of this psychologizing and treatment is only to retrain and reintroduce functionaries back into society. We learn kind of another dark moment of this section that some doctors in the institutions are just therapy robots. I find this idea very distressing. Uh, we talked about uh, in the last episode how Diane needs people to help her draw her out of her mind then these therapy robots are just again just functionaries they don't exist within the the scope of the complexity of human emotions or even facial expressions empathy seems to be impossible with these things and in that case dr island is just some sort of therapy robot writ large he's playing though on the part of the mind that embraces and creates mythology rather than being some sort of physical representation of the society, of a non-empathetic society whose mission it is to contain people who can't function within it. So this is a really, really distressing section for me. And this is our first real hint that this story is not going to end on a, on a happy note. And I love the way that Wolf teases this really so far away from the ending and now has us on guard and questioning everything that we're seeing. As you said, this is masterful storytelling. This is some of Wolf's plotting, I think, at its at its finest. So we're going to go to the point now. And as Nicholas walks there, he and Dr. Island continue to talk about Dr. Island's treatment and what his function is. We're going to get some more on this. Nicholas says that all society is interested in is conformity and Dr. Island agrees that, of course, a certain amount of conformity is within society's interest. But what society really wants is consciousness, because without consciousness, there can be no progress and humanity needs progress. A century ago, humanity was suffocating on Earth. Now it is suffocating again, even though there's been this diaspora to the stars. And Dr. Island goes on to say that about half of the people who have contributed substantially to human progress have been emotionally disturbed and this claim makes Nicholas really angry. He says that these people who were advancing humanity and went crazy in the process went crazy because of economic injustices, because they were kicked out of their homes for being poor and so on. Well, at the same time, society was rewarding people whose sole motivation was their own greed, that the incongruity of that, the injustice of that is what made people go crazy, in Nicholas's words. Dr. Island ignores this claim, but he does now address this issue of importance, uh, the question of whether Ignacio is more important than Nicholas and Diane, uh, and how Dr. Island decides that. He says that any young person who seems to have a better-than-average chance of adapting to the conditions of living in the outer solar system is precious, right? Out here uh, around Jupiter and beyond, we get this real sense here in the story that every place is inhabited in some way. And of course, this sounds great, but then he brings up the IQs that these three people have. Ignacio's is 210, a genius level. Diane's is 120, so she's quite intelligent, while Nicholas's is 95, so slightly below average. So automatically here, there's some attempt to quantifiably evaluate 
the worth of these people. Well, we never find out why Dr. Island brings this up, though, because Nicholas interjects that he's never had his IQ tested. He does say that he was at a hospital once where they tried, but he broke the helmet that they used to evaluate intelligence. And the nurse then just wrote down some plausible number because it wasn't worth dealing with this problem. And Nicholas is really quite emotional uh, about this. And he wants Dr. Island to erase that number from his file. But even though we never find out why these numbers matter, right? To, to me, this implication that Dr. Island is using IQ as a way of determining who deserves treatment, this is absolutely chilling or unsettling, to use your word. Yeah. I, and it's not just IQ that the Dr. Island is using as a way of determining who deserves treatment or why they get treatment, but it's IQ combined with the ability to be retrained in a way that will advance society. And that leaves us with this question of what it even means to advance society. You know, I, I suppose it might mean in the case of this story that humanity would remember that it needs to have more compassion for other people or generate a higher level of consciousness or move towards a more spiritually perfect future. You know, these are very Hegelian teleological notions of history, but society or, or those in charge of it, in charge of this society uh, represented in this story, believe that they are responsible for producing either a revolutionary or an advocate for those not in power in order to restore consciousness to the mass of society. And I struggle to even understand what this could mean. And and the reason why I struggle to understand it, because this is directly in conflict with the very definition of psychology as it's presented to us in the story, which is to create people who can function in society. So are people in charge of society, in charge of these experiments, in charge of Dr. Island, trying to break society or make it more conforming? Are they keeping the status quo or breaking it? It's it's a core question of the story. You know, this bit about Nicholas's IQ is also going to factor into our discussion of how the story closes, of the way that it closes, and, and what Nicholas's future might look like. But here we get another instance of Dr. Island being wrong, of not being omnipotent, right? He, he doesn't know Nicholas's real IQ, and this puts Dr. Island in a bind. And we're going to examine uh, eventually whether or not this factors into the, the way the story ends and how Nicholas is treated at the end of the story. I also can't avoid pointing out here the hospital called St. John, which we've seen before uh, in this section. And we also have a reference to a sister Carmela. So this is clearly the the Carmelites that Wolf has in mind. And he's still thinking about Christian mysticism, as we've seen before writing the story. It's just explicit here. I love your characterization of Dr. Island being in a bind here. There's, there's almost kind of a Hell 9000 moment here where uh, where, the, where the, the contradiction in the information that he's supposed to believe, then realizing he can't trust that and not knowing how to proceed almost seems like it's going to actually make him malfunction. And actually, maybe it does. That might actually be a reading that we have of this story. But what he says is that that's the information that's crucial for me in coming up with your treatment plan, Nicholas. And I have to have a number, so I'm going to use this one because otherwise I don't know how to proceed. And it will be interesting then to see how that plays out, what mistakes maybe are made. But for now, we're actually going to get Dr. Island reading some poetry because when Nicholas reaches a, a particular vantage point, a vantage point with a, just a phenomenal view of the island, Dr. Island asks Nicholas if his heart is open to beauty and when Nicholas doesn't answer, Dr. Island decides to recite some poetry to him. And now his voice even comes from the wind. I, I, I wish the wind would read me 
more poetry, right? More often. As Dr. Island recites, The mountain wooded to the peak, the lawns, and winding glades high up like ways to heaven. The slender cocoa's drooping crown of plumes, the lightning flash of insect and of bird, the luster of the long convolvoluses that coiled around the stately stems and ran, even to the limit of the land, the glows and the glories of the broad belt of the world. All these he saw. And when he's done reciting a, a very difficult poem to read, I will say, Dr. Island says, does this mean nothing to you, Nicholas? And Nicholas's response here is priceless. You read a lot, don't you? And Dr. Island does read a lot. He, he says that when everyone else is asleep and there's very little else for him to do, he reads. And this is an interesting notion, right? Because up to this point, I've certainly been thinking of Dr. Island as a kind of AI. But I guess I've also been thinking about it in terms of the internet and unlimited data storage. So why would the AI need to read? Now, I still think Dr. Island is an AI, though that might be something we want to argue about at some point here in our coverage. But this notion gave me pause and made me wonder if there isn't a person behind the the curtain here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think Dr. Island is an AI for sure. And I, I'm sure there's a, a staff of people feeding information to Dr. Island. And I'm sure this is what he means by reading or maybe somebody sitting outside of a giant computer like in the Vonnegut story Epicac and feeding it love poetry and <laughs> teaching it all of these things. I really wonder what Wolf has in mind when he's thinking about AI or computers or what kind of server would you need to maintain? How big the room? I mean, it might be the size of a, a satellite planet in order to maintain a sophisticated program like this. Well, there is a lot of concern in this story about where the machine brain, uh, the computer brain of Dr. Island is housed and what that looks like and how it's connected to the island. So Wolf clearly is also thinking about this from a kind of computer engineering approach as well. Right. I mean, he's got all of his bases covered here. Um, but the, the poem you read is an, is an excerpt from a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson called Enoch Arden. And it's a narrative poem in the vein of poems about shipwrecked sailors, which, you know, there are many, uh, <laughs> on a desert island. And this person, Enoch Arden, is there with two companions, both of whom die, and he is left alone uh, before he's able to return home. Well, what's interesting to me about this this excerpt, though, or the, the name of the poem, is that some people in the, in the fan community, the Earthnet, and also is acknowledged by Mark Aramini, in Between Light and Shadow, think that the name Nicholas could be a reference to Enoch, at least the biblical Enoch. Uh, that Enoch, the one from the Old Testament, is one of the people or maybe the core person in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible who lived and didn't die. You know, One interpretation of that story is, is that he is taken up into the heavens. He walked with God and he's God takes him into the heavens alive. So this is a, a really clear indication that there's much more uh, than meets the eye with these poetic references in this story. I think in the end, we're going to have several different possible readings of the significance of that. The names in this story, they have to have meaning. They almost always do for Wolf. That is not a reading that had occurred to me. So I'm excited to hear you bring that up. I'm looking forward to maybe taking that up at greater length in the discussion as well. Nicholas really does not respond to this poetry or to the beauty of the vista from the point. Instead, he calls Dr. Island an Easter egg. It's not clear what he means by this, though it seems to be in insulting. Dr. Island actually even asks what Nicholas means, but he doesn't get much of an answer. 
but this does prompt a memory of Nicholas's. And he, he remembers this moment, uh, this incident, when his mother once had brought him an Easter egg on visiting day at some hospital. And everything about this upset him. It was a fancy egg with actual gold on it and a decorated interior that was visible through a lens at one end. We actually used to make these sorts of things in Sunday school, Brandon. I don't know if you ever did. And the gold on the egg indicated to Nicholas that his mother had not made this herself. But he says that he knew who had made it, though this is something that's never actually explained to us. And moreover, this egg was decorated with earth flowers on the outside, and then on the inside there's an image of earth. And this also annoys Nicholas, because his mother pretends that she grew up on earth, but she, she didn't. She's never been any closer to earth than Mars. And this is an interesting hint that being from Earth is a kind of status symbol, or even just having been to Earth is a kind of status symbol this far out in the solar system. But this whole visit, she kept getting Nicholas to acknowledge how pretty the Easter egg is. And it's very much like what Dr. Island is doing now, like sort of forcing him to comment on the beauty, to appreciate something that he doesn't care about, that doesn't interest him. And all of this is cut into the, the present conversation that he's having with Dr. Ireland, who is doing this same thing. And the vista is beautiful. We get a great nature description from Wolf that I'm just going to read here because I love it. Night hung at the corners in funereal purple and sent long shadows like cold and lovely arms to caress the day. Night hung at the corners in funereal purple and sent long shadows like cold and lovely arms to caress the day. And while he watched and it fell... Long-necked birds of so dark a pink that they were nearly red trailed stilt legs across the sky, their wings making crosses. These birds are flamingos, of course, and Dr. Island describes the word flamingo as itself a thing of beauty, much like the bird that it indicates, but he adds that we might not find flamingos nearly as beautiful if we called them sparrows. And this begins a brief but I think pretty significant discussion of the importance of words. Nicholas thinks that words just mix you up. But Dr. Island says that words have a great deal of beauty on their own, but they are also useful because a person's ability to verbalize his feelings can save him from being destroyed by those feelings. And he goes on to say that the original purpose of language was to ritualize men's threats and curses, his spells, to compel the gods. Communication came later. Words can be a safety valve. And I'm very interested in where Wolf got this idea about the origin of language, so I hope that's something we'll get to talk about in the discussion episode. But what matters for the, the plot is that Nicholas says he doesn't want a safety valve. He wants to be a bomb, even if that means killing himself and his own explosion. Yeah, there's an awful lot to talk about in this section, and a lot of it we will save for the discussion. I, I do think that this bit about processing experience through language and, and the purpose of language will come up in the section because of the way that the story ends. The Easter egg, to me, is like a sort of kaleidoscopic toy, or it might even have some sort of holographic properties, as he's looking in and he sees the Earth from the point of view of the, of the moon, just below the moon. Um, my reading here is that he's looking at the, the coast of India or something like that, and that's only to explain uh, why he gets super into like naming things after the coast of India yeah. <laughs> in a few in a few moments, um, and why he's thinking of the of the Madhya Pradesh uh, later on in the story. So, this Easter egg is something that has left a deep mark on 
Nicholas. And I'm glad you brought up the bit about his mother as well, because both Nicholas and Diane have real disappointments with their mothers, or maybe failure to even bond with their mothers. And and that's going to come up in the next episode as we learn more about perhaps the experiment that's taking place on this island. All right. Well, at last, finally, Nicholas arrives at the point. There is a tree there that he sees in triplicate. And as he approaches the center tree or what appears as the center tree to him, he also sees two other boys approaching the side trees. And Nicholas chases one of the boys. And in doing so, he loses sight of the image. And this indicates to him that the physics of this place and He says that he's not scared, right? He thinks this is fun, but he asks if it scared Diane, and he gets no answer to that question as we go into a section break. And this all feels like a a highly sophisticated sort of engineering-minded way of describing a funhouse mirror, right? And the way that it can shift our perceptions of reality. Right. And I think we'll see that it just has very strange, real physical properties that a funhouse mirror just doesn't have. Right. That's obvious even just in this point right now because he's hearing right it's not just visual it's auditory as well while he is still here at the point he sees three more trees just ahead of him but strangely closer to together here and dr island warns him not to go any further he says it can be dangerous if you try to pass through the point itself but nicholas he doesn't care in fact he thinks dr island is lying to him so he approaches anyway and as he gets closer to his reflections He actually reaches out to touch one of the reflections on the shoulder. And at the same time, he feels hands on his shoulder. So yeah, these are totally crazy physical properties, whatever is is going on here. When this happens, Dr. Island shouts his name, but Nicholas says it wasn't him who did that. It wasn't him who reached out. It was one of his images who didn't obey Dr. Island. But Dr. Island here just says that Nicholas is all of them. There's clearly some mystical going on here Uh, and at this nicholas snaps into action he attacks the monkey through which dr island has been speaking in this scene and he cracks its skull and he is really surprised to discover that it's not a robot this monkey's not robotic or electronic in some way it is a real living monkey with organic brains that ooze out of its crushed skull it's graphic and, and visceral And Nicholas now wants to know how Dr. Island makes his voice come out of a a living monkey. The answer is simple. He doesn't. What Dr. Island does is speak to people telepathically, and their minds turn any nearby sound into the vehicle for Dr. Island's thoughts. It's a a way of making sense of something that is nonsensical, something that seems irrational. I was not expecting telepathy to show up in this story, especially not telepathy from something we are thinking is an AI anyway. So that will be uh, an interesting conversation to have in the discussion as well. But Nicholas is incredulous. I guess he kind of always is. He really thinks Dr. Island is just lying to him about everything. Uh, But the reason he's incredulous is that it would seem that if Dr. Island is telepathic, he should have been able to stop Diane from becoming catatonic. Dr. Island doesn't say that he can't do that, only that he had reasons for not doing it. And one of them is that both Diane and Nicholas have been chosen for their effect on another patient. And if he changed who Diane is, right, altered her personality himself, she would not then be that useful person anymore, that person he needs for the other patient. And of course, we know that this patient, that the person who is more important is Ignacio. And this information, really this confirmation of something that Diane herself had already puzzled out, this brings us to the end of what we're covering today.
Yeah, it's another game-changing section break. The rules are becoming a little bit clearer to us. Nicholas is on the island. It's confirmed for the sake of Ignacio, and so is Diane. They are participants in some sort of experiment where a tertiary benefit of that experiment could be that they're cured on some level, but that's not the point of them being there. There's just so much that Wolf leaves hanging here. But I, I want to point out the chattering monkeys here and how they like to follow people around. And, and this is just something to keep in mind as we move into the final episode and enter the closing action of the story. I want to pose a question here, though, as food for thought, as we're closing up here, of whether or not the sounds that Nicholas picks up on when Dr. Island talks are random or if they come from some sort of symbolic unconscious manifestation. Does Nicholas hear some things from the water, some things from the wind, some things from the trees, some from the monkeys? And does it matter what voice is speaking? Is it a manifestation of something inside of Nicholas? But that is something we will be talking about in the discussion. And obviously, all of this raises the question of whether or not this might be a sort of brain in the vat experiment. There might be real safety measures here because nobody is actually on an island. So a lot to consider here uh, at the end of this section. Right. There is a real possibility that Wolf is engaging in some epistemological trickery here, right? How do we know what we think we know? Do we really know what we think we know in this story when all the information we're getting is from people telling things to Nicholas, who we're meant to understand, maybe doesn't have a good grasp of what's going on. He himself doesn't have a lot, of, a whole lot of information. He pops up through this hatch, naked, not knowing where he is, how he got there. There's a lot of mysteries here, potential mysteries about the reality of what's going on. I'm looking forward to having that, I would say, robust, perhaps vigorous debate uh, when we get into the discussion episode. But we do have one more recap to do to finish up this story before we get there. That's right. And so on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Brandon Buddha. And I'm Glenn McDorman. You can find us and our other creative projects at claytemplemedia.com. Please join us on the Clay Temple forums and let us know what you thought of this section or just wait and join us for the discussion. We're always happy to hear from you, whatever the case. If you'd like to support the show, help us reach our goal of doing episodes every week, please join us on Patreon. Next time, we're going to be covering the last section of this story. But until then... We greet you and say farewell.